How many were here last weekend for our Invite a Friend weekend? You know, over 200 people got saved, already baptized that night. And there's some that got saved that night that want to get baptized right now. So what do you say? We worship the Lord, baptize people. I mean, they're offering their bodies as a living sack. And hey, we got to find out who this little one is. If you're a family member and you want to come up and get a picture, you're welcome to come up too. But, uh, you know, we're proud of you. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out who this one is. Tell us your name and why you're getting baptized. Amaya. Amen. Hi, my name is Amaya Baker, and I am seven years old. Why are you getting baptized? Today I am getting baptized because I have expected Jesus Christ into my life. We're proud of you. Amen. That's worthy of worship. Well, amen. Kevin's going to baptize you. Hallelujah. Let's just worship right now while they're doing that. Just worship a little bit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. restart of my life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Just, just music. My name is Crystal, and I'm being baptized because I accepted Christ as my Savior. Amen. We're proud of you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Bless you, Lord. Tell us what God's doing in your life, what he's been doing these last few weeks. Been re I'm, my name's Mike. I'm rededicating my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're proud of you, man. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. We bless him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be filled, never be the same. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now what do you say we really worship? Amen. We got a lot to be thankful for today. Amen. Hey, we'll stop service anytime for a baptism. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Water's nice if anybody wants to come in. Hallelujah.
noise for the Lord this morning. Oh, Lord, we do lift you up this morning. Come on, pray with me, Lord. We say that you're good. God, we say that we could sing unending songs, Lord, and it would never tell the end of who you are. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for, God, your grace that extends to us every day. Lord, this morning we need you. God, we need you every moment, every breath, every day. But, Lord, we acknowledge that we're in your presence, God, and we, we need you. Lord, we need a fresh touch from you. But, God, I pray that you would change, change our hearts, God, as we pursue yours this morning. Lord, we lift you up. We lift you up, and we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.
Man, this, this morning we're going to continue in worship. But man, we want to invite you to have a seat for just a moment. We're going we're gonna to take communion this morning. Man, but as we sit and as we continue, man, I just, I want to challenge you. Let the Lord just kind of examine your heart. And, uh, you know, as we, as we take communion, every time we get, you know, we come to church, we have the opportunity to think about three things. One is what Jesus did for every single person in this room on the cross what he's going to do in his second coming, and also what he wants to do in our hearts right now this morning. So as we continue in worship, man, I just want to challenge you. Let the Lord speak to you this morning. Amen. To work and wash away my sin, nothing but the
continue in worship, uh, as they're continuing to pass everything out, uh, we just want you to tune your eyes to the screen. We have a special video for you this morning. The next day, the great crowd that had gathered heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This crowd praised him. They celebrated his miracles and with great expectation told everyone about him. But they did not know him. They were waiting for someone who would rule with strength and might. But he came as a humble servant. They wanted him to finally bring their people glory. But he wanted to change them so their lives would bring God glory. They were expecting a general who would crush their enemies, but he came saying, love your enemies. They thought he could offer them deliverance from their oppressors, but he came offering deliverance from sin. This crowd would soon realize that Jesus wasn't gonna be what they wanted, and they turned on him before they ever realized he was what they needed. So as they yelled, crucify, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus answered, I am not that kind of king. His kingdom isn't what you see here. It won't be established by chaos and war. His kingdom is in our hearts. His kingdom is truth. His kingdom is goodness. His kingdom is righteousness. He is the humble king, the king of healing, the king of forgiveness, the king of love. Today, we lift our voices. We cry, Hosanna, save us. Save us from our sin. Come dwell in our hearts. Hosanna, we worship you. Jesus Christ, our king. Amen. If he's your king, say, Hosanna in the highest. Hallelujah. As we look at this little cracker and this juice, of course it reminds us of the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us. But I kind of think about what happened that day. I mean, he instituted communion. We're able to celebrate today over 2,000 years later. But if I was going to go to the dentist or doctor, I had something painful coming up. Man, I'd have everybody waiting on me hand and foot the coming days getting ready for that because, man, look what i got to go through. And yet Jesus, knowing what he was going to go through, I mean the most brutal death possible, and, and then to see what he did that day, he got down and washed the feet of his disciples. I mean, he was a servant, and that's the whole reason he came was to be a servant and to give us an example. So as we look at this, let's kind of ask God, first of all, forgive us for any sins and to cleanse us, but especially just for kind of being selfish and, and sometimes not having the compassion we need to because, I mean, you turn on the news, there's so much goes on that you just kind of get hard to it sometimes. And so let's just let the Lord just make our heart sensitive today and just kind of meditate on that a little bit, and especially if there's somebody you need to forgive. I mean, just release them right now. I mean, if you have a hard time forgiving, just look at that cross and picture Jesus looking off that cross, blood dripping down his face and saying, I forgive you. That's what he's done for us. He'll give you the power to forgive. 
Zach, would you kind of pray a prayer over this? That, I mean, you were just talking about what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago and in the future, but especially what he wants to do right now. Lord, we do lift up our hearts. God, we thank you, Lord, for what Jesus did on the cross. God, we pray that we would never take that for granted, that we would never forget. God, that we wouldn't trample on the blood of Jesus, but, Lord, that we would pursue you and thank you every day for what he did for us, the price that he paid. Lord, we also thank you for his second coming. God, and everything that he's going to do and the victory that he'll ride in on, Lord, we pray and we look forward to that day. Lord, hundreds of years from now or, or today, whatever it may be, Lord, we trust in you and we know, God, that you have a plan, Lord, and we also lift up our hearts to you right now. God, just to reveal in us the things that maybe aren't of you. Lord, we ask you right now to reveal the things, God, and so we can remove them and draw closer to you. God, we want to look more like you. We want to be closer to you, Lord, and we love you. God, we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Lord, we hold this bread, the body, your body that was broken for us, Lord. And as we do that, we just pray for healing for anybody here that needs healing, Lord. That price was paid. 2,000 years ago on the cross, you, by your stripes we were healed and we received this bread, Lord, bless it. And there was blood that was shed for us, those stripes you took on your back, whatever's needed here, if somebody needs emotional healing, Lord, if somebody needs mental healing, if physical healing, Lord, it's available here, whatever's needed is represented because you paid the price for it, Lord. So we just receive it. We just say, Hosanna, holy, worthy are you, Lord. Bless this juice in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's offer our bodies as a living sacrifice as we just worship him right now. Well, the enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're going to lift our voice in victory. We're going to make your praises The enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're going to lift our voice in victory. We're going to make your praises Super excited you're here, man. Greet a couple of people around you. Make your way back to your seats this morning. with us today. 
In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreaches. If you're a first-time guest, fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our Saturday night meal and snacks between services on Sunday mornings in the Connect Cafe. Our coffee bar is always open. so glad that you're here and we hope that you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. The journey of life can be difficult. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help your journey by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or just wanting to get more involved. It is a four-week class to help you learn about the church, help you get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week Freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The leadership class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, or in your home. Easter is next week, and we will be having three weekend services. We expect a packed house for Sunday second service, and you can help free up some seats for guests by coming Saturday night for our free hamburger meal or Sunday first service before 9 for a sausage and biscuit breakfast. Be sure to invite friends and family and believe God for some changed lives. Well, amen. How many were here last week for the Invite a Friend weekend? Amen. Powerful weekend, wasn't it? I think we need to give God one more big round of applause. 200 people saved. I mean, 40 baptized. Was there anybody here that came to the altar that weekend? You just want to look at that. Amen. We're glad you made it back. We're proud of you. That's what it's all about. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, as you saw, we got Easter weekend coming up. And typically, if somebody comes to church for the first time, a lot of times it's this service, the second service on Sunday that they'll come to. So we're going to try to free up some seats because it'll be packed. Uh, 
Travis, how many did we have last year? 1,700? 1,700 people in three, three services. So uh, you can come Saturday night. There's a meal afterwards, a hamburger meal. You can invite them to that. Or come Sunday morning, that first service. We got some sausage and biscuits. But whenever they want to come, if you're inviting them, come when they want to come. But just be praying and uh, just be believing. All those crosses on the walls, there's names written on those. You might want to write some names up yet so we can pray for them this week. Because uh, anybody know some people that need to come to Jesus to experience his love and plan for his life? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings, and uh, let's see what's on the screen. The Bible tells us that we should not store treasure on earth, but instead, we should store our treasure in heaven for eternity. This can be difficult to do, because the world only cares about earthly treasures. But having your treasure in heaven is worth the challenge. The best way to store your treasure in heaven is to get some balloons and put all of your money and any jewelry you might have in them. Then fill the balloons up with helium. This part is really important. Make sure you put enough helium in the balloon to float out of the Earth's atmosphere and into heaven. Once the balloons have been filled up and tied, let them go and watch your treasure slowly float up to heaven. It'll all be there waiting for you when you die. Storing your treasure in heaven is the best investment a Christian can make. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. Well, I guess I caught you off guard, huh? I hope you realize that was funny, right? Okay. But you know, there's a principle there about storing our treasures in heaven and where your heart is, you know, your treasure ends up being. In other words, if you have a passion about something, that's where your money goes to. And and I thank God for a church that has a passion about souls reaching the nations. We have a team in Haiti. Be praying for them. They'll be coming back, I think, Monday night and be praying for them. But, you know, what I want to do is you're preparing your offering and, and just trusting God with that 10% and saying you love him and, and that you uh, just want to acknowledge him as Lord over your finances. I want to pray for our pastor. If you don't know, I'm an associate pastor, um, Mike Ulmer. I've been here 26 years. But Pastor John and Linnell, let's pray for them right now. He's on a sabbatical, and we'll just pray for healing and blessing. Father, we bless our pastor. We bless Pastor John. We bless Linnell. Lord, we just speak to even his thyroid to function properly and his adrenal gland. And Lord, you just quicken his mortal body and he'd be healed. But we pray this would be a season of rest. Lord, you'd speak to him. You'd encourage him. And Lord, we thank you. You have your hand on this church, Lord. Unless you build the house, we labor in vain. So this is your church. We acknowledge it today. And we acknowledge what you've been doing this past week with the people being saved. And even last night and this morning. Lord, we just want to thank you and give you praise. Bless our pastor. Let him get great rest and continue having hand on this church for all we have coming in these coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Because our God is greater and our God is stronger.
more time. Cause our God is greater and our God is strong. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship and him. God, you are higher Make that declaration. Than declarations over your life. Say you're healed in Jesus' name. Whatever it is, say you're blessed in Jesus' name. Just begin to praise him. Thank him. We thank you, Lord. You're healer. You're stronger, Lord. You're higher than any problem we have, Lord. Our God is healer, awesome and power. believe that give him a hand clap give him a round of praise amen hallelujah well you may be seated look at your neighbor and tell him you look wonderful you know there's a woman that woke up one morning she rushed to the doctor and she goes to the doctor and said doctor look at me I mean I woke up this morning I looked in the mirror and my hair was all awry and frazzled up, and my skin was wrinkled and pasty. My eyes were bloodshot and bugged out, and my, I mean, I looked like a corpse. Doctor, what's wrong with me? And the doctor took a look a few minutes and just calmly said, well, I can tell you one thing. There ain't nothing wrong with your eyes. Now look at your neighbor and tell him you really look good, all right? All right. There you go. One more time, a little more. I think I can preach to some of that, Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. A message entitled today, Pardon Me. Say, Pardon Me. Or, What Shall I Do with Jesus? What you think about it? What should I do with Jesus? Today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. This first happened in April in 29 AD. And this was the day Jesus rode in declaring he was Messiah, fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. But as, let's look in the Word, the story in Matthew 21. Does anybody have a Bible? Or electronic device, you want to hold it up, shake it a little bit, make the bookstores glad and the devil mad, and let's chop off some devil's heads. Nah, 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 nah. Jeez, that was, that was kind of, nah, nah, nah. Anyhow, repeat after me. This Bible has power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector. Sin deflector, faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap. Matthew 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you. Immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he sent them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. 
Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried, saying, Hosanna to son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Say, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hopefully they were a little more excited on that day. But just think of this. This whole group of people, Hosanna in the highest. See, it was a prophecy back in Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah wrote this 500 years before Jesus even came up on the scene. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. This is what we call the start of Holy Week. It was Palm Sunday on a Sunday, Holy Week, and we got Jesus riding in Jerusalem to declare he's the Messiah. And that whole week, then on Monday in Matthew, in verse 12, this is where Jesus is cleansing the temple. And he says, you know, my house is to be called a house of prayer, and you made it a den of thieves. And then on Tuesday, he's questioned about paying taxes, and he tells and repeats the twofold law of God, that we're to love God with all our hearts and love their neighbors as ourselves. And then on Wednesday, he tells a man about the coming judgment that's going to happen in Matthew 25. And in Matthew 26 is where Judas is beginning to plot to uh, betray Jesus. And on Thursday is when he celebrates the Passover. And he has communion and institutes the Lord's Supper and also goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and prays in agony because he knows he's going to be betrayed. And then on Friday in Matthew 27, this is where Jesus is condemned by Pilate and he ends up being mocked by the soldiers and sentenced to death. Now, Jesus' purpose for riding in Jerusalem was to make public his claim to be the Messiah. Okay, he was going to be the king of Israel fulfilling this Old Testament scripture. And now the people in that crowd, just think, they're thinking, man, finally a king, finally somebody to deliver us from this Roman oppression. We got somebody that's going to get us out of our problems. And here he is now. Unfortunately, the praise of these people that they lavished on Jesus was not because he was Messiah. They just recognized as someone to get him out of their trouble, someone who's going to lead a revolution or revolt against Rome. You know, there was another person around there at that same time. His name was Barabbas, and he was in a jail cell because he was trying to lead the people in a revolt, and Rome didn't take kindly to that, and they threw him in a dungeon. And so let's pick up the story in Matthew 27. Now, it was the governor's custom to release one prisoner to the crowd each year during the Passover celebration, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious, say notorious, a notorious criminal in prison, a man named Barabbas. Now, do you say Barabbas or Barabbas? How many Barabbas holds your hand up? Any Barabbas? Okay, potato, potato. We'll go with Barabbas. I might even say, last time I said Barnabas, so you never know what will come out. It'll start with a B, though. His name was Barabbas. And the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning. He asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well the Jewish leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone, because I had a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the other leaders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So when the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release, the crowd shouted back the reply, Barabbas. But if I release Barabbas, Pilate asked them, what should I do with Jesus? 
Just meditate on that for a minute. What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they shouted, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the crowd only roared louder, crucify him. Everybody take your hands and do this. Come on, come on. This might be the only exercise you get this week. Now say, crucify him. Crucify him. Like you hate somebody. Come on, crucify him. Crucify him. Doesn't feel good doing that, does it? But you know, we're, our sins are what crucified him and what put him on the cross. There's just been one person here that sinned. God loved us that much that he would have had to go through that because blood had to be shed for our sins. So they yelled, crucify him. So let's talk about Barabbas. Barabbas is what I call the crazy sinner. Was there any crazy sinners out there in God Deliver You? Any crazy ones? I mean, when I was in college, I was just being crazy and stupid. I'm lucky, by the grace of God, I'm standing here tonight. I mean, drugs, alcohol, and fast cars. I mean, it's, thank God I'm here. But he was a crazy sinner. But let's talk about Barabbas. Just his name, first of all. You got Bar Abbas, or Bar Abba. So you got Bar means son, like Simon, Bar Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. And you got Abba, which is the intimate word for father. It's like saying daddy God. So you got son of a loving father. Now, other translations kind of make that Abba as a, a master teacher or a rabbi. And so whether he's the son of a loving father or the son of a rabbi, he could have been a pastor's son from a great family. Whatever the case is, something went terribly wrong, and he got way off course. And now he finds himself in this situation. Loving father, Barabbas. You know, some believe that Barabbas was a patriot, a fighter, a rebel. I mean, Rome was on their backs. It was taxation without representation. And, and they just kind of felt, you know, the burden of the Roman government. And so some believe Barabbas was an insurrectionist, you know, much like maybe Patrick Henry in a good way or Paul Revere, the original Tea Party, you know, kind of trying to step in and provide some help. But others believe he was part of a group called the uh, Dagger Bearers. These people would wear cloaks. I mean, they were thugs. And they would wear cloaks and have daggers under their cloaks, and they would just murder people at will. And so either way, he was a crazy sinner. Look at your neighbor and say, you crazy. No, say, you crazy for Jesus. All right? Anybody crazy for Jesus? Amen. That's a good thing. But he was a crazy sinner, and he was sentenced to the most uh, horrible death. And you look through the Gospels, he's in all four Gospels. He's mentioned in every one of them. We don't know a lot about him other than that. But you find out he was a thief, a robber, and a murderer. Sentenced to death, being scourged, and then death by cross. And that's his, where he's going to end up. And he's in prison right now. So you got the crazy sinner. Then you got the church-going sinner. The mob, the crowd. You know, these are the religious leaders and their followers who find their identity in religion. Have you ever been around somebody and, and you kind of ask you, you're a Christian? They say, well, I'm a Methodist. I'm a Baptist. And they, it's almost like they have more identity in the church they go to than in identity in being born again and a follower of Jesus Christ. But these people could have been common people, but they were the ones that were following Jesus at the height of his ministry. They are the ones that were in town and throwing their clothes out and the palm branches, and they're saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. And now those ones that were saying, Hosanna, are saying, crucify him. Matter of fact, when I do this, you just say crucify him. Crucify him. Okay, you got that. Good. These are compromising Christians. Now, these are uh, the church-going sinners. You know, there's a time in my life 
where I just seemed like I wanted to follow the crowd. I wanted to do whatever was possible. I kind of wanted to have Jesus, so I'd keep him in my pocket, and then I'd pull him out when I go to Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I say, hey, look, I'm a Christian. I identify with Jesus. I go to the football chapel service. I'd pull him out. Or church on Sunday, once in a while, I'd pull him out. But you know, when it come Monday, I'd hang him back up on the cross. You know, you can just kind of be up there the rest of the week. And that's kind of the way I live my life. He was just kind of, you know, spare tire in the back of the trunk when I got in trouble. But he was not Lord of my life. See, there was a time I finally got him from the spare tire up into the back seat. And, you know, so maybe a little more dialogue with him. But he was, I was still driving the car going my way. And then maybe he got in the front seat. But I tell you, it wasn't until April 14th, 1984, that I said, okay, Jesus, take the wheel. It's like, you're going to be Lord of my life, not just Savior. See, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's really got to be master. So, the con- we move from the crazy center to the church-going center. And the church-going center, you know, religious people, that's the problem with America right now. Just enough rig- religion to make them immune from the real thing. It's about relationship and lordship. So let's move to the compromising center. Say compromising center. This is Pontius Pilate. From the very start, Pontius Pilate wanted to release Jesus. I mean, that was his intent up to the point where it began to jeopardize his comfort and welfare. You know, that's the point you kind of stop. See, we follow Jesus till it gets uncomfortable. We follow Jesus until it starts to cost us something. You know, first he was going to let the Jews deal with him. He just, a matter of fact, he made this statement. You have the law, take and try him. So he said, I'll just put him in their hands. But they said, see, they were bloodthirsty. They wanted blood. They wanted him dead, and they knew they couldn't legally kill him. They had to have Pilate do that. And so Pilate takes him back into his chambers, talks with him again, has a memorable interview, and comes back out, and he says, I find no fault in him. But they shouted, So Pilate's getting backed in a corner. I mean, his pride's on the line, his reputation, his political career, they're all right there. And he's just kind of getting kind of caught, not sure what to do. See, even though he's convinced on what he should do, he ends up doing what's wrong. I mean, a lot of times we can convince what we should do, but that's not what we do. And so even the voice of conscience convinced Pilate, where he said, I find no fault in him. Even the voice of reason convinced Pilate, where he said it was new, it knew us for envy that they wanted him crucified. And even the voice of a loved one convinced Pilate. His wife said, don't have anything to do with this man. I had a bad dream. He's innocent. Leave him alone. And even the voice of God himself convinced Pilate. Because when he asked and he said, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, yes, it is, I say. So what does he do? Well, Pilate... He's in a corner, and he thinks for a minute. He said, wait, I'm a politician. I can spin my way out of this one. I've done it before. And he gets this thought, Barabbas. Man, this is it. This is it. Barabbas. That guy has been a thorn in my side. He has been wearing me out. I've had him locked up possibly, you know, at least months, maybe years he's had him locked up, trying to revolt against me. Man, this is my chance. The people get to choose. I'll take it off my hands, put it on their hands. They're surely going to pick the thief, robber, and murderer Man, I just talked to Jesus. Man, he don't seem like a bad guy. He had some good things to say. I mean, I don't see, who are they going to pick? Surely I'm out of this problem. But to his surprise, what happens in verse 21? So when the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back their reply, Barabbas. But if I release Barabbas, Pilate asked them, 
What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They all shouted, Why, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the crowd only roared louder. Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere. And there was a riot developing. So he sent for a bowl of water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this man. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we'll take the responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and turned him over to the Roman soldiers to crucify. You know that symbolic washing of his hands didn't cleanse Pilate from the guilt of that sin? I mean, he wasn't innocent of the blood of Jesus. I mean, when he turned him over to the mob, that was an act of cruelty, cowardice, compromise, and basically criminal malfeasance. Every Sunday morning, I feel like there's people coming to church that try to wash the guilt off of their hands from what they've done all week. You know, with all my heart, I believe that when you ask Jesus in your heart, he says he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. And I believe that. But I'm telling you, there's some scriptures in Hebrews 10 that really make you kind of, whoa. Like, if you willfully continue to sin, you are trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus. I'm telling you, there is a tension there. And why is it we always kind of want to get to one side? You know, in 15, really 20 years of ministering to youth, I'd have questions like this. You know, me and my boyfriend, you know, if we, you know, make out a little bit and, you know, how far can we go before we've gone too far? It's like, how far can we get to the edge of the cliff before we fall off? Instead of saying, how close can I get to Jesus and just fall in love with him and stay away from all that trouble? So Pilate's convinced to do the right thing, but because of the crowd, the peer pressure he compromises does the wrong thing. So let's talk about Barabbas and him being pardoned. This is where he gets pardoned, okay? Now, one of the special privileges of the United States president is his power to pardon somebody. When he pardons somebody, it's absolute. That means the Congress can't overturn it. The court system can't overturn it. It's a done deal. The first presidential pardon was in 1791 by George Washington. People begin to rebel against a whiskey tax. They taxed the whiskey, and they said, that's where we stop, right there. And there was a rebellion so much they had to bring out troops. People were arrested and found for treason and were going to be killed. And Washington ended up pardoning them and releasing them. Probably one of the most controversial presidential pardons was issued by Richard Nixon in 1971. This is when he received a promise from Jimmy Hoffa that he would not engage in direct or indirect management of labor organizations. And upon that promise, he went ahead and overrun, overrode that tampered jury conviction that put him in jail, and he pardoned him. Perhaps the most famous presidential pardon was Gerald Ford's pardon of Richard Nixon. Nixon resigned because of the scandal in Watergate. And a matter of fact, it was widely believed he was going to face criminal prosecution for his crimes. And at that point, uh, Gerald Ford steps in and he tells the American public that it was a scandal that could go on and on and only he could write the end of it. But no president in history made use of the presidential pardon like uh, Bill Clinton. On his last day, 140 presidential pardons. And his half-brother was one of them who was convicted of a drug charge in prison already for 10 years. Roger Clinton was released. But in verse 22, but if I release Barabbas, Pilate said, what should I do with Jesus? Let's say that together. What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? You know, that's the question today. I want everybody, what are you doing with Jesus? Are you doing like I did and you kind of, you, you acknowledge him, but you hang him back up on the cross? You know, 
during the week? Or, you know, is he really Lord? Is he in the back seat, in the trunk? Is he behind the steering wheel? Is he really Lord of your life? Are you following him? Because it's one of three choices. Whether you believe anything I'm saying or not, he's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. Those are your only options. Anybody ever heard of Josh McDowell? He's wrote many great books. I recommend him. But he was a, a college student at Berkeley in California, a very secular school, during the Jesus movement. He was tired of these born-again Christians trying to witness to him. And he just got fed up with it. And he realizes, I need to disprove Christianity. Because he didn't believe in God or any of this stuff. And so he was going to disprove it. And see, he wasn't going to go back to the dinosaurs in creation. you got to go to Jesus. That is the landmark. That's where things change. That's what made the difference. So he's going to disprove this whole death, burial, resurrection. And in the process, there was so much evidence that overwhelmed him that he became a Christian. He wrote a book that has two volumes called Evidence that Demands a Verdict. And I'm telling you, it's powerful stuff. Even little things from the stone being rolled uphill. I mean, why would a group of soldiers do the hard thing? And it wasn't even that. And it ends, there's all kinds of things there. But it just convinced him. So is he liar, lunatic, or Lord? McDowell calls that the great trilemma. You know, a dilemma is when you're caught between two options. But this is kind of like three options. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says in the book Mere Christianity. Because some people try to say, well, he's a great teacher. He said, you can't even use that option. He says this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Jesus made some powerful claims. He claimed to live a sinless life. He claimed to be a heavenly king. He claimed to forgive sins. He claimed that he would die and come back to life. He claimed that he would return and judge the world. So was he a liar? Well, first of all, he was misleading a lot of followers, and he was teaching one thing and living this enormous lie. And for those of you that might take that view, I don't think it adds up. Because when you know about Jesus and the results of his life and his teaching, whenever Jesus is proclaimed, we're talking lives are changed. We're talking about nations repenting. We're talking about thieves that go straight, alcoholics that toss their bottle, uh, people that are hateful become vessels of love for God. And somebody had a life with results like that, I'm telling you, they wouldn't be phony. Was he a lunatic? Well, you can call him deluded, self-deceived, uh, yet Jesus didn't display the abnormalities and the characteristics of somebody imbalanced and crazy like that. I mean, when he spoke, he was very clear, very concise. I mean, people with mental problems were being healed and delivered. And you'd listen to even historians like Josephus, who's not a Christian, who wrote uh, historically back in those days, he would write about Jesus, how his words had such power. He spoke like nobody else. And you'd have all these people, lawyers and Pharisees, arguing with him, and they'd walk away with their tails dragging between their legs because there wasn't anybody could get anything over on him. And so I don't think he was a lunatic at all. So was he Lord? Well, if Jesus is a liar and he isn't a lunatic, that's the only option left. He's claimed, he's who he said he is. He's God, Jesus, son of, the, son of the living God. And so the issue with these three alternatives is they're all possible, right? Anyone's possible, but there's only one likely solution. 
There's only one probable one, and that's he's God. So you have the right to believe what you want, but it doesn't mean what you believe is right. There's a friend of mine that works at Cooper Tire goes to our church. And he's just been witnessing some people and some people and come to church even that last weekend and, and really doing some neat things out there. But there's one guy he just had a problem with, just kind of hated him. And he, he, this guy finally came and apologized and they're communicating again. But he says he doesn't believe there's a God. When he tried to witness to him, he said, I don't believe any of that stuff. You know, I just don't believe there's a God. There's not a heaven or a hell. And he, and he kind of says, you know, well, that's a pretty big gamble. He said, you know, since I became a Christian, I have more peace in my life. I, I realize I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, and even if we go through life and I'm totally wrong, at least I've lived a better life. But what about you? You've gambled your whole life on that. That's a pretty big risk. So let's go to back to Barabbas as we kind of close, and I want to picture where he's at right now. In a dark cell, a rat-infested dungeon, cold, probably not much light, if any, just a little through some bars up top. You know, we're all Barabbas, aren't we? I mean, we're all in a jail cell waiting for judgment. We're kind of in his position until you come to know Jesus. But you think about him down there. It could have been at least months, but probably years in that cell. And he knows it's coming down to this day. He knows this is a day. The soldiers keep reminding him. They might have a little thing on the wall. You know, they're kind of marking it off or whatever. And he's down there, and the weight of this is coming on him. And he says, man, this, 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 it's all happening right now. How did, I mean, I had a great family. How, what, did I start falling? What was it? And all of a sudden, I'm in this position right now. And then he begins to think of what he's going to go through. The cat of nine tails. You know, the whip, the leather strands, nine strands with a piece of pottery or, or lead on the end of him. And he's going to get whipped with that. And if it survives that, you know, then he carries that cross, and they're going to put those big nine-inch nails through his wrists and his feet. But he knows even after that, when they drop the cross in its stand, his shoulders are going to dislocate. And the only way for him to breathe is to raise up on his feet because he knows he's going to die of asphyxiation. He's not going to be able, sometimes he's just not going to be able to do it. That's why they break their legs and they just couldn't breathe anymore. He knew all this was coming. But there's something different going on. There's a buzz going out in the courtyard. He's probably 2,000 yards away from where this has taken place, this conversation with Pilate and the crowd. And he doesn't hear Pilate say anything, but every once in a while I hear, crucify him, crucify him. And he begins to say, man, they are stirred up today. But then it really gets personal when he hears what? Barabbas. And then he hears crucify him. And now, man, it's just coming on him. He said, man, how could they hate me this much? I thought they even forgot about me. But he's thinking all this. But then the soldiers come, and they take him out of that cell, and they undo him, and they start to walk him up, maybe just seeing light for the first time. And before that, I mean, the soldiers are saying, Barabbas, buddy, it is your lucky day. And he's thinking what? And the the soldier goes, you know, I even lost 100 bucks on you. I was sure they'd pick you, but no, they picked this guy, Jesus. And he's like, what, what? And he's still kind of shaking it off, and he comes up into the light and maybe looks over, and, there, and there's light shining, and his eyes are kind of not used to it, and he thinks he sees somebody that may be a king and a crown on their head and a robe, and the more he looks, that person's all bloody. And he realized, man, that's Jesus. That's this person that's taken my place. I mean, think of that. Put yourself in that position. Because if you don't know Jesus, man, we are waiting death. We're waiting judgment before God. And man... There's a movie, I think it was in 1991, called Barabbas. And it kind of takes a story of what happened. I mean, what would have happened to that guy after that happened? Because, I mean, he sees Jesus getting beaten, going to the cross. 
But then on, some, on the cross, it, there's, there's something feels different. I mean, even some soldiers are maybe bowing down at that point. And then this guy's saying, Father, forgive them, and he has no hate in his heart. But at some point when he dies, in the middle of the day, it becomes pitch black. You can't even see your hand. Darkness like no other darkness. And you say, man, this guy might be who he says he is. And then three days later to see that empty tomb, I'm telling you, do you think that guy's life was probably changed? There's a good chance it was. He probably took that opportunity and made the best of us. But what are you going to do with Jesus? Maybe you're a crazy sinner. Maybe you're a church-going sinner. Maybe right now you're here and you're a compromising sinner. But you know what you need to be? You need to be a changed sinner. See, if you really have a relationship with God, there should be a change in your life. See, that's what I noticed in my life. I said that prayer that one time, but, you know, I kept living like the devil and kind of following the crowd. But I remember that day, April 14th, 1984, and it didn't happen just like that, but I'm telling you, something changed, and I began to have a power to be able to change. But still, I wasn't being a witness. You know, still, I, I was still saying yes to the crowd. I'm telling you, the gift of salvation made a difference in my life, but the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit that sent me to a whole, new, whole other level. I'm telling you, there is a gift. It says in Luke 11, 11, you ask your earthly father for a snake he wouldn't, or an egg, he wouldn't give you a snake or a scorpion. But if you ask your heavenly father for the gift of the Holy Spirit, he'd give you that. Matter of fact, the disciples, even after Jesus was raised from the dead, they didn't turn the world upside down. The Bible said in the last book of John, they went fishing. They went back to their old lifestyle. But Jesus said, you go and wait in Jerusalem, and I've got something for you. I mean, I'm going to be gone, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and you'll receive power to be a witness. And what happened to Peter? The same guy that denied Jesus and said, man, I'm not even a Christian, and he cussed so they wouldn't believe he was a Christian, so he wouldn't get hung up on that cross. Now he doesn't care. He preaches 3,000 people get saved. I'm telling you, those disciples all died, died a martyr's death. I mean, I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit can help you make that step and make a change in your life. It's kind of a one-two thing. You know what? Raising your hand and coming to this altar is not going to change your life. Now, how many raised your hand and came to the altar last week? Hold your hand up. I mean, you did before, and look at them, proud of it. See, they're back in church. God, and I want to declare this over our church. There's something sovereignly going on in this season in our church. It wasn't just because Scott Camp came here, great evangelist, but we've had prophetic words coming up in the few months and the end of the year that there's going to be a time of harvest. It's a time of restoration for people and their lives. And last night, I just did an altar call. Well, I said, keep your eyes open, and if you want to be, get saved, just stand to your feet. Eight people stood up, and it was nothing I did. I mean, God is doing something in this house, and when he's doing something, when there's times of refreshing, you better join in. And I had a prophetic word this morning. I believe God spoke something to me just out of the blue. He said, there's some people here, and they got a monkey on their back. Think about that. And I just begin to meditate on it, a monkey on their back. First of all, if you have unforgiveness, somebody hurts you, what do you want to do? You want to pay them back. You jump on their back. You're like beating on them. You're in your mind. You're just beating them up. But you know what happens? They end up on your back, don't they? And you're going through life carrying them around with this unforgiveness, and it wears you out. And wonder why you are so discouraged and depressed. What about booze and alcohol? Man, it says, take a ride on me. You jump on the bottle, and man, it's fun for a while, isn't it? But pretty soon, that drug is on your back. And it's leading you around, taking you everywhere it wants to go. And you have no more freedom. Whatever it is. And I'm going to tell you, the power of God is here today to set some people free. It really is.
But what are you going to do with Jesus? Because raising your hand and coming to the altar is where it starts. I'm telling you, it will start there. And we're going to believe today, if you need healing in your body, we're going to believe there's healing here today. It's time for some signs, wonders, and miracles. I believe that's going to really start to kind of kick in the revival when people come just for that and then realize they need Jesus. And I tell you, Jesus loves to meet felt needs. That's why you guys need to step out and pray for heathens and people for the simplest thing. It could be about their pet. It could be about, I mean, God loves to answer. I heard of a story of a, a man in South America that had his prized bull die when the revival was going on down there. And the guy just, and because this is his livelihood. And they went out and prayed for this bull. It, it came back to life. Do you think that guy all of a sudden recognized, man, there's a God in heaven? So I want you to think a minute. If you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? Can you answer that question? I mean, somebody asked me, I've been in church, but when somebody asked me that question, all of a sudden I realized, wow, nobody asked me that. And he said, God loved me and had a plan for my life. Because of my sin, I'm separated from him. Has anybody sinned? I'm telling you, we've all sinned. We've all broken the commandments. Just what we heard last week. I mean, we've all stolen something. Might just be little, but we've stolen something. Well, what about murder? Well, I haven't done that. Well, the Bible says if you even hate somebody, it's like murder. So, you know, we, the law is there to show we can't live up to that. We need grace. You know, we need to be forgiven. And so God loves me. I'm a sinner. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I knew all those from going to church. But the last thing he said, I have to individually invite him in my life. I have to be willing to repent and turn from my ways and follow him. And it started by raising my hand and saying that prayer. And then day by day, when the Holy Spirit would convict me, instead of saying, I would start to agree with him. Or I'd go down the wrong road and realize, man, it's not worth going down there. So if you're here today, you're not sure where you'd spend eternity. You're not 100% sure you'd go to heaven. We had, just stand to your feet right now. I'm just going to make it simple. It might be one person in here. And I'm proud of you. You want to get things right with God. Just stand, just stand up for a minute. God bless you. Come on. God's doing something sovereign. It's, you're not joining the church right now. You're saying, God, I need you. I want to make you Lord of my life. Is there any compromising Christians in here that today's the day you need to take a stand before everybody and say that? You say, I'm tired of compromising. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to need his help. Amen? Here's what we're going to do as we close. I'm going to invite. Zach, you can come on up. We're going to begin to just worship a little bit. But before that, let's just stand on our feet right now. We're going to open the altars up. If you stood up, I want you to come up here. Because there's, we're going to pray for you. We're going to say a prayer together. So in just a moment, I want you to come up here if you stood. I want you to come up here if you know you need to st stand up for Jesus. You haven't taken a stand for him. Either you don't know you'd go to heaven or you've been compromising. And today's the day you just want to... Because there's something about coming up here. I don't know what it is. Taking a stand for God. All of heaven will stand up for you. And there's some of you need the power of God in your life. And we'll pray for you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And there's others that you need healing in your life. You just need God to heal you. And we're just believing the Holy Spirit's going to be here and just do, do what needs to be done. I want altar workers to be up here too in worship. I want some Christians to come up and get around these people that stood up. So just begin to come, especially you that stood for salvation. I want you to come right up front so I can meet you and we can say a prayer. If you need healing, if you want more of God's power, if you're an altar worker, if you just want to come up and worship, you come on up. But let's give them a hand as they come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on over. Hey, come here, buddy. Proud of you, man. Man, man. Proud of you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to say this prayer together. Just come on in a minute. Anybody else, if you need to get right with God, just hold your hand up and say, I want to be a part of this prayer. And you can stay where you're at. But we just want you to recognize it. Let's say this prayer together, church. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I invite you into my life. I give you permission to mess my life up in a good way. Fill me with your power. I need it. I receive it. And thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Proud of you, man. We have some people pray for you. Lord, I just, you need God's power in your life? You want it right now? Just lift up your hands. Both of them. Just say, I surrender. Close your eyes. I'm just going to pray God right now will touch you and fill you with his power. In the name of Jesus, let it never be the same, Lord, out of his belly. Lord, just power and anointing. Lord, I just call forth that call of evangelism on his life. Lord, he begin to lead people across that bridge from darkness into the light. Lord, let him know. Get your hands on him in a powerful way in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. There's somebody getting filled with the Holy Spirit right there in Jesus' name. We bless you, Lord. Let's just worship a little bit. Not even noon yet. Let's just worship the Lord and just see what he wants to do. If you want to come around the altar and worship, well, let's worship for a whole song here. Hold on before we dismiss you. Thank you, Jesus. Because our God is greater and our God is stronger and God's you. before I dismiss you. If you want prayer for anything, just come up. I mean, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing some things here. Whatever you need, man, just believe this is the day that he'll meet that need. And I'm telling you, if you need a miracle, I don't care how dark it is in your life. Sometimes it's darkest right before the dawn. I mean, never, never, never give up. Let somebody agree with you. But the Holy Spirit brought this back to my spirit. That thing I said about a monkey on your back, if that's you, you come up here, I want to personally pray for you, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's an addiction, I'm going to believe God to set you free. So you are formally dismissed. We're going to you stay and worship a little bit, but invite people for Easter. God bless you. And if you want special prayer, come on up in Jesus' name.